Excellent. Thank you, music team. And good morning, everyone. I'm Etienne. Uh, my word of welcome uh, to you alongside Jesses. If you're new to church, if you're new to this church, if you're new to the Bible, to God, to faith, all that sort of stuff, uh, fantastic to have you. Uh, if it is your first time in church today, it's an interesting day to have, or this church, to have come in. We, we every Sunday, spend uh, some time to read from the Bible. We believe that God shows us through the Bible who He is and who we are, and so we do what we call preaching or a message or something like that. We're going to do that again today, but today there is a very long piece of the Bible that we will read. In fact, I think it is the longest, uh, for those of you who have been journeying with us through the book of Acts, the longest speech in the entire book. People like me who explain the Bible, or who try to, have over the years uh, come up with so many ways to try and do this well and in good time and have found it very challenging. So I'm going to not try and do this over one Sunday, I'm going to do it over two. This is going to be a part A Next Sunday will be a part B, okay? So let me read it to you first. Betsy was supposed to read today, but she's not here, and she's escaped reading a very long passage of the Bible. Um, I'm going to read it to you now, and if you have your Bible with you, do have it open at Acts chapter 6. So Acts chapter 6, it will be on the screen. I'm going to... Just pray for us, briefly, then I'm going to read. God, no one can understand, let alone experience and encounter the force and the power of what you have built into your word. As we read it now, Holy Spirit, would you help us? Give us the ability, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay. Acts chapter 6. Verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the whole, uh, the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified this fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? To this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory 
appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even enough ground to set his foot on. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way. For 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they'll be enslaved and mistreated. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said, and afterward they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision, and Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of the twelve patriarchs. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Then a famine struck all Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering, and our ancestors could not find food. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our forefathers on their first visit. On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. After this, Joseph sent for his father Jacob and his whole family, 75 in all. Then Jacob went down to Egypt, where he and our ancestors died. Their bodies were brought back in to Shechem and placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought from the sons of Hamor at Shechem for a certain sum of money. As the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt had greatly increased. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our ancestors by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. At that time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for by his family, and when he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. And after 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert at Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to get a closer look, he heard the Lord say, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. 
I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses they had rejected with the words, Who made you ruler and judge? He was sent, he was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt, performed wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the wilderness. This is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors and he received living words to pass on to us. But our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, They rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. That was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and reveled in what their hands had made. But God turned away from them and gave them over to the worship of the sun, moon and stars. This agrees with what is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the wilderness, people of Israel? You've taken up the tabernacle of Molech and the star of your god Rephan, the idols you made to worship. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our ancestors had the tabernacle of the covenant law with them in the wilderness It had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had seen. After receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favour and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. We're almost there. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you've betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious, gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, 
Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. Hmm. There's so much stuff in that, right? So many names, so much history, so many concepts that, you know, (laughs) you don't all have to get today to get what God is saying to us. My job is very simple. My job is to summarise to you, hopefully, in 15 minutes, maybe 20 Just what Stephen actually said to the people there. I mean, tell me if you like courtroom dramas. Hands up, do you like courtroom dramas, like movies or TV shows? And some of those are just fantastic, isn't it? Uh, (laughs) The favourite one for me that sprung to mind is, uh, uh, yeah, pop quiz. Uh, You can't handle the truth. What movie is that from? Anyone know? Few good men. What a great courtroom drama that pan out there, isn't it? Um, yeah, I, 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 Dennis Denudo. Denudo, Denudo. What character? What movie is he from? The Castle. Come on, The Castle's the ultimate courtroom drama, isn't it? The ultimate Australian courtroom drama. Uh, it's not a drama, actually. It's just a laugh. Courtrooms. Did you pick that? This one sort of theme that runs throughout this whole long reading of the Bible is, 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 a, is a courtroom. There's courtroom language. There's a guy called Stephen. He's facing a court of religious leaders. This court is called the Sanhedrin. He's in trouble and the story ends quite gruesomely with Stephen, this man Stephen, being executed for something he said. That, that's more or less the, the short comprehension of the story. Okay. What did he say? What, what happened? Let me summarize it for you. Thank you for the guys in the back keeping me on my toes. <laughs> Stephen's speech starts with this point. And on this point, he agrees with the people who executed him, by the way. A courtroom scene. Do you know that your life and my life And every single human being's life is lived out in a courtroom scene. The purpose of your life, in many ways, is that you will face judgment one day. There will be a cosmic judge in a cosmic courtroom scene who will pass a verdict and a judgment on every single human being who ever lived. That's the sort of second courtroom scene that this story introduces us to. It's not just Stephen who's in a courtroom. It's every single human being. You, me, everyone. At the end of your life and at the end of the lifespan of humanity, yes, the Bible is clear. There is going to be a judgment, and the aim and the hope that every single one of us should have is that in the face of the justice of that judge and against his standards, we 
will be found good. The Bible's word for goodness is righteousness. He will look at me and say that, yes, he or she is good. Yeah, that's uncomfortable, stern language, but that is the Bible's message. And there's two things that come up in this little speech of Stephen. I don't know why I'm going down, but I'll go down. Um, Sorry. Two things, okay. There's two things that, that, that sort of come up in this speech of Stephen. He's in trouble because he spoke against this holy place and the law. They're the two things that this earthly courtroom is accusing him of. They say he's saying stuff, bad stuff against these two things, the law and this holy place. It's important that you understand what those two things are. So I'm just going to take the minute and unpack them, okay? The law. You know what the law is? The law is, that's the standards that every human being needs to live up to if they are going to be good with God. The Bible spells that out for us. That's the law. And Jewish people were the ones who heard it first. They understood it. And Christianity carries that on. It's still the law. There are still the standards that God expects of us. And one day we can unpack those a bit further or deeper in case you're new to Christianity or wonder what it is. But that's it, the law. But Jewish people knew and God told them that they can't meet the standards of this law. You're going to fail because it's too high. The moral perfection that's required is too high. And so God creates a way for them to deal with this. If you fail, the punishment that you rightly deserve can be served on an innocent victim to be sacrificed at the temple. All throughout the Old Testament, the, the, the purpose of the temple is, is sacrifice, right? For my sins, for the stuff that's wrong with me, that I have not met the bar of God's justice. Graciously, God says, okay, well, if you fail, I'll make a way out for you. And the price is blood. If you're new to, again, new to church, new to Christianity, it could be a bit disturbing, a bit unsettling, a bit gruesome, but, but life, eye for an eye, life for life, right? Sacrifice and blood, blood is a life source, and God says the offense for not meeting my bar of justice is that serious that it would require blood. In the Old Testament, it's the blood of an innocent victim, Symbolically, usually a goat or a lamb. Let me just pause here for a second, please. You might hear all this and you go, I, I just don't know about this. You know, the idea that... The idea that there is a judge. I don't really... I don't like it. And even if there was a God, the idea that he is a judge who would go as far as requiring a price or a penalty as steep and as high as life and blood itself, that, that for me is, is, is unacceptable. It's unacceptable to think of God in such terms of, of such a judge, of a cosmic judge who comes down in judgment on all things, 
no matter how small necessarily, that it falls short of his expectations of his own justice. His own justice, by the way, what is required to create a world that is stunningly beautiful, pure, unbroken, the perfect world is the world under his justice, right? I, I can't have that. I, I don't know. God as a judge, I, it's a bad thing for me. I, I, sorry, no. Uh, look, I can talk about this forever, but can I just pick one thing of why you and I should be grateful that God is a God who judges that God is a God who expects his law to be upheld. It's a good thing, friends. It's an excellent thing. And, and here's one reason why. I'll give you one reason why. Uh, do you know that every year... Sorry, guys, can you move me up a slide? Here's some statistics. Sorry, Pete, can, they, can you move me up, Pete? Thank you, mate. Let me just share an example with you. Every year, globally in the world, there are between 20 and 40 million people who are victims of human trafficking. Today, not in the past, slavery, today. Do you know 25% of these people are children? The average age of each child entering human trafficking is about 12 to 14 years of age. A child is sold for sex approximately 20 to 30 times each day. Over 99 billion US dollars comes from this exploitation. And here's the thing that should really get you and should really get me. According to some organizations, less than 1% of perpetrators in this business or this cruel trade actually gets prosecuted and receives justice. You know, we need to be okay if we say that there is no cosmic judge who's going to judge everything. To say to the woman who is caught in slavery for her whole life that your perpetrator will die in his sleep, well-fed, warm, never having faced any injustice, and there is nothing to be done about it. It's not okay. You're not okay with that, and I'm not okay with that. And mercifully, the God of the Bible is not okay with that. He's not okay with that. He's saying there will be justice. We yearn for justice. We know it. Whether we believe in God or not, we know deep inside of us that there is right, there is wrong. And we hope and we expect that one day, at that great time of reckoning and of judgment, the law that delivers a just and pure and perfect and fair and right world will be upheld. Right? It's a good thing. We should be glad. We should be, we should be grateful that there is such a judge, that there is such Justice, that there is such judgment coming. However, that of course is also a problem. By the way, Stephen, the Jewish people of his day, in this speech, this is 
how they operate. It's important you get that because you need to have that to understand why he's being executed later in the story, okay? Stay with me for the next point. We have to satisfy the judge. <laughs> the law, the temple, living up to the standard, and if not, the sacrifices that need to be made. Here's the second point, and this is more troubling. You can never satisfy the judge. You can't. No one can. Think about this for me, will you? If, and I'll get back to this story in a minute, but let's, let's, take the, let's take the human trafficking example. If you wanted to say, well, okay, you know, let's, if we want to have justice on earth, if I want to have the perfect world, one of the things I'd have to do is I'd have to get rid of all the sex traffickers. Get rid of all those who run brothels or who rape people. Get rid of all those who, who treat or who has treated women and their bodies in a degrading fashion. In fact, you'd also have to get rid of all those who produce porn. But hang on then, you will also have to get rid of all those who provide the market for the others who produce porn, from which all domestic violence flow and all those sorts of things and pretty soon you're going to find out if you want to create the perfect world in which perfect justice is upheld, you're also going to have to get rid of me. Because I've watched porn. Right? There's a Christian author and writer called G.K. Chesterton. He once wrote in response to a British newspaper who asked all their readers can you tell us what is wrong with the world? Write a letter to us. Tell us what you think is wrong with the world. G.K. Chesterton wrote back a very simple letter. He said, Dear sirs, madam, I am. I am what's wrong with the world. You see, the seed of what is wrong with the world, the seed of what causes every single human being to not live up to the bar of justice is in all of us. All of us. Yes, maybe you all know Idi Amin, you know Adolf Hitler, you know sex trafficker. But somewhere in the scale of all those things, there is not a single human person who can say to themselves that I am righteous. I am good. And the worldly way of thinking about this is that in some way you can say that to yourself. Some way, maybe the wishful thinking is that I will be okay if there is a judge. Which I kind of hope there is for the sake of those who need justice, but somehow I might be okay. You won't. You won't. Stevens message in this earthly court in front of the Sanhedrin is saying to these Jewish people exactly that. It's long-winded, it's not clear at the surface, but please trust me, the bottom line is that. He's saying your laws, they're not good enough. Your sacrificial system, and Jewish people went all the way with this. At one point at this temple, 
over 250,000 sheep were sacrificed. Right? Jewish people have this whole view where it's so important that we live by the rules, that we are righteous, that they, they took the laws that God gave them, they added to them another 613, <laughs> you know, over here, which they call a fence that they draw around the law just to make sure that we can actually live up to say that we are good. Stephen is saying to them, you can't. You won't. You never will. It's impossible. <laughs> what do you need? Get to the third point. And this is exactly what he gets. This is what he gets executed for. <laughs> you need the righteous one. <laughs> if if you're if you're wondering, uh, that's Jesus. He's standing in this court and he's saying to this people, do you know that this God-man Jesus who was born onto earth did both those things for you? On the law, he lived the perfect life. He's the only one who can ever stand in front of the bar of justice in the eternal great court, in front of the eternal great judge and say, I have obeyed fully. I am good I'm righteous. I deserve to live in the perfect, beautiful, clean world under your justice. And yet, he, in an act of incredible, inestimable love, says, I will become the sacrifice, the Lamb of God whose blood will wash away the sin of the world. So that whoever believes in me will appear in front of that bar of justice justified, righteous, <laughs> accepted, forgiven. <laughs> and you know what the charge is that Stephen lays on to these Jewish people? I guess it's the same charge we need to lay on ourselves today depending on where we're at with Jesus. You stiff-necked people. You have had the promise that this righteous one will come. I think it's the only time in Acts where this term is used of Jesus. The righteous one. The one who will give you righteousness all throughout your history. And that's why the purpose of this long and elegated history, you knew that he would be coming. Yet you've always refused and rejected him. Question for you. Question for me, Stephen's question, if he was here, is what would you do with the righteous one today? <laughs> do you believe do you believe there's a there's a judge? Do you believe there is eternal justice that will be meted out? Do you believe that you fall short of it? Would you accept the righteous one? The righteous one who came for you, gave his life for you, so that you may be considered righteous. If you believe it, you accept it. That is the Christian gospel. That is the Christian message. 
That is the reason we exist as a church. The message we proclaim. It doesn't quite finish there, but that's the crux of it. Next week, I'm going to take you a step further. Because you might say today, why would I accept that? And if I do accept that, what will change? How does that change me? How does that change my life? What difference will it make in how I live, how I think, how I speak? Right? And maybe the answer to that would serve to you as the justification of why you might be drawn to say, I want this righteous one. I'm going to show you next week. Your life, if you accept the righteous one, is either going to become more and more like Stephen's. We're going to look at Stephen, how he lived and acted and behaved in this story. Or your life, to one degree or another, are going to become like the Jewish leaders. And the difference is going to be pinned on one thing and one thing only. What do you do with the righteous one? Is he your righteous one? The one whom you knew and you declare and you confess you need. My plea, Stephen's plea, do not be stiff-necked. If you're here this morning, you're here because God wanted you here. And the Holy Spirit is speaking, calling you. Would you believe it? Pray with me, please. Father, we spoke with, about heavy and weighty and, yeah, just very daunting things. But in some sense, it's quite simple. And I pray that in its, in its simplicity, you would help us to give a response to this message that is right, that is good, that is helpful. One that will change our lives so beautifully. One that will start to shape and mould us to reflect your beautiful, stunning justice and holiness. Pray for those here this morning who are perhaps unsure, perhaps afraid, perhaps perhaps hurt, perhaps struggling with many questions around your justice. Lord, I pray that those would be graciously answered, that they will be met where they're at. And Lord, that your splendor in how you combine justice and love so perfectly in Jesus Christ would dawn upon us as something of immense wonder and grandeur. And it is spectacular. Thank you for the cross. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, team. So we're going to stand and sing the song that that is a response to the message that um, Ed's just shared with us, so died for us. Let's stand and sing.
guys. Thank you all for worshipping with us at Pathway today. We truly hope you have felt encouraged during this time. We pray that you feel empowered with wisdom from his word so that you move into this week and ignite others for Christ. From Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power, that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. A few things. Um, we have morning tea and fellowship now. Um, just a reminder on the ser sermon survey evaluation, there's hard copies. So you, in retrospect, Chuck all, your detail, all the info down and reflect on this service. Um, leadership would really appreciate your feedback. 
Also, I want to remind you, if you plan to drop a collection, the contribution box is at the back. And importantly, there is the opportunity to talk or pray with someone up the front if there's any need to do so at all. Thank you. Have a good week. I am